Welcome back to the Diet Doctor Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Schur. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Tony Hampton, who's a family practice physician in South Chicago, who's also board certified in obesity medicine and an author of a book, Fix Your Diet, Fix Your Diabetes, and a new podcast host with Protect Your Nest as his podcast. And he's the regional medical director of a large uh, medical institution, like I said, in South Chicago. Now, the, the thing that you know, Dr. Tony, is, he, as you'll learn in this podcast, he's just a wonderful doctor and a very caring doctor who has a, a really wonderful approach with his patients to address every aspect of the health and their life. But specifically, he sees predominantly African-American patients because that's where his practice is. And um, he has some insight as to why they need maybe a different approach because of their background, their culture, the way they were raised, uh, their family structure, all these aspects play into how you care for a patient. And that's why it's so important, I think, for Dr. Tony Hampton to be spreading his message um, about how to interact um, to help people improve their lifestyle. And it's not all about nutrition. There's so many hurdles you might have to get through before you can even start talking about nutrition. And then how do you begin the nutrition discussion? He has some great examples, some great tips. Uh, but most importantly, I think it's just his message of of what your doctor should be, how your doctor should be thinking. Um, he sets a wonderful example for that, leads by example. And, and I hope that's something that you can take away from this interview is like, wow, people like this exist as physicians. And if I'm not getting this type of interaction with my physician, it's something I should look for or something I should demand from that interaction. I, I'm really inspired in talking to Dr. Tony, and I hope you'll be inspired after listening to this episode. Dr. Tony Hampton, welcome to the Diet Doctor Podcast. It's great to have you here today. I'm so happy to be here and to finally uh, talk to you, Dr. Sure. Yeah, we we you know we talked about having you on the podcast months ago, pre-coronavirus, and I wanted to arrange a time for us to be in person. And then, of course, the world turned upside down. But I guess the one benefit is now that we're doing remote podcasts. That was uh, that was my excuse to get you on the show right away. So so glad to have you here today. Now you have really started to become fairly prominent within the low-carb community, but I love your story. You weren't always in the low-carb community, and this has been your own journey. So give us a little bit of a, a, a sample of that journey, how you got to where you are today as a family practice doc working in South Chicago, promoting low-carb diets, but not you know necessarily only promoting low-carb diets. So give us a little bit of that background. Well, thank you for that. I... I am a Chicago native. I grew up on the west side of the city, and I then left my uh, my home to go to college. I ended up going to Xavier in Louisiana, which is actually the only historically black Catholic school in the country, believe it or not. But they're really also known for creating uh, the foundation for African-Americans to go to medical school and for pharmacy. They probably create the most pharmacists of any school in the country, African-American, and they lead the country also for pre-med. So it was a good landing spot for me. After doing that, I came back to Chicago. I did my family practice residency at West Suburban Hospital in Oak Park. I worked for a federally funded clinic for a little bit, which was kind of nice because it was a community I grew up in. And while I was there, I focused on OB-GYN. So I did a fellowship in maternal child health. And that training 
uh, really was kind of, you know, that Obi-Gani lifestyle kind of got to me after a while. And I love catching babies, trust me, but it just got busy. And so I left that and joined Advocate Aurora Health System, where, where I work now. They're the 10th largest health system in the country. Now, what was cool about that is that they created structure. So in that structure, I'm following guidelines and uh, HEDIS measures. And for those who don't know what that is, that's where that's called the Healthcare Effectiveness Data and Information Set, I think. And what they do is they train us how to be good doctors by following and managing disease. And you know this as a cardiologist because... As a sure. cardiologist, if your congestive heart failure folk are not on the right medicine, the beta blockers, et cetera, then you're not a good doctor. Uh, so what they do is they help keep. So that was a good thing, but this is what happened. So two things happened. One is that a family member got sick. And when a family member got sick, they said, I don't want to be on medicines. And then number two, I noticed that my hands were starting to feel, I would knock on the door and my hands would feel achy. And I also had a little bit of an irritable bowel. And guess what? I didn't want to be on medicine. So, so I started doing research. And as I did my research, I realized that for most illnesses, the for most chronic illnesses, insulin resistance was the reason for it. So when I recognized that, I said, well, what, what, what do I do about insulin resistance? And all of a sudden, I, that's when I was introduced into the lifestyle. The funny thing about all of this is I got all this information from being on social media, YouTube, Google. And, and so what happened is I shifted my practice, which people don't think is possible. I shifted my practice to one where I'm not just you know diagnosing and managing disease. I'm always trying to have a conversation about lifestyle. So now I spend 30 and maybe even up to 50% of my interactions with my patients for a 15 or 20 minute appointment talking about diet and nutrition. Since doing that, I've not only helped my family member, my hands don't ache, my stomach is not irritable, and more importantly, I have taken people off medicine on a regular basis. So once you kind of find this low-carb, high-fat space, it's hard to go backwards. It's just been a, it's almost like a miracle. And I'm like, why didn't they teach me this stuff, you know, when I was in school? Yeah, that that's a great point. And I, I really like how you describe that journey, that it started with somebody wanting to get better and not take medications. And why is that so foreign to us as doctors? I mean, we're, we're in such a medication driven society in in medicine that, that for you, it it had to come from that desire to not take medications. And that's was your introduction to nutrition. And I, I think that's wonderful. Now you, you mentioned how you went to a school that is known for helping African Americans get into medical school. So, you know, when it comes to doctors within the low carb sphere, there's a noticeable absence of, of African-American doctors. So I'm curious for, for your opinion, is that just reflecting the um, underrepresentation of African-Americans in medicine in general, or is there something about this type of medicine, either this lifestyle-driven medicine or the low-carb message that is particularly sort of not, um, not opening to, to African-American doctors? Well, I will say this stat that blew my mind. Um, so when you think about African-American males, and this has been probably since the 50s and 60s, they only educate about 500 African-American males go to medical school every year. So if you think about a country with 360 million or so, there's got to be more than 500 African-American males who want to go to medical school. So there is a little bit of a disconnect. And because of that disconnect, there are issues around trust. So 
if they meet Dr. Brett Schur, uh, as well-respected as you are, they will hear you, but they may hear me a little louder. So the problem is that we don't have enough people of color who can then message this message. In fact, when I found you and others on Twitter, um, I couldn't find a lot of people that looked like me on Twitter that was messaging this. So it really, it even made me even more motivated to start to message that. But when it comes to nutrition overall, it's, it's, it's like, if you ask me to change my diet and you're challenging my cultural and my heritage of perception of diet, I'm going to push back a little bit. If you you know, literally, I think it's like healthy food sometimes has a symbolism that is not going to really be good. <laughs> That's number one. Number two, I don't know that I can afford that grass-fed beef that you may, may have tweeted yesterday, doctor. And, I, and then you factor that in and think about the food deserts and other factors. These are barriers that people of color face. It's not just everybody wants to live a long, healthy life. But if you have all these other extrinsic factors that are making a decision for you, those are the things that kind of get us a little bit off base. So as a physician who knows the importance of that, and of course, as I when I started my podcast, Protecting Your Nest, that was an acronym. And that acronym, you know, talked about not just nutrition, but exercise and stress. And, and, and we can talk about uh, how that relates to people of color and how they need, they're disproportionately impacted if they don't do these lifestyle things. So my job is to message lifestyle is important. We may refer you to a nutritionist, but I'm such, I've gotten so good at this that I technically, I, I really don't even refer. I just give them the information. And then if I think they're challenged, then I'll refer them. But we, we as clinicians have to actually know just enough to give them a little bit of a nudge and give them just enough information that they'll act on it because patients will do what the doctor says for the most part. Well, that's a good point. I mean, there's giving them the information and then there's sort of the nudge or the follow-up or, you know, helping them logistically. It's, it's a lot of people say it's not really a lack of information. It's a lack of sort of priority. So it's, it's, it's connecting with somebody to say, okay, if this person is telling me this is important, I'm going to make it a priority. So I, I mean, I think that's a good point that you brought up that uh, me sitting down in front of an African-American patient doesn't mean I can't relate to them at all. It doesn't mean they're not going to listen to me at all. But there's something about the camaraderie of of having a kinship with somebody. I mean, that's just human nature, right? So that's why um, having more African-American doctors are so important, especially yeah. when you look at the statistics, right? So um, for diabetes, African-American, the, the prevalence of, of diabetes in for African-Americans is 13%. And for Caucasians is 8% of American adults. And then for hypertension, and these are by the old hypertension guidelines, African-Americans with 39%, Caucasians 28%. It's going to be even higher now. So African-Americans are disproportionately affected. So it's even a greater concern and a greater need and opportunity. But why do you think they are um, more affected? Is it genetics? Is it lifestyle? Is it culture? Is it sort of a combination of all those? What do you think is the the reason and how do we impact it? Well, if you can bear with me, um, I can, well, let me just say this first, life is not fair, right? So if, uh, like, I remember recently hearing about, um, you know, the, this whole idea about hydroxychloroquine 
And what people may not know is that African-American men, going back to that demographic for obvious reasons, um, 10% of them have a deficiency of uh, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. With that deficiency, if they take um, chloroquine, they will then be at risk for something called hemolytic anemia. So, So that's not fair, and that's just a genetic thing. But what I tell patients is that we're, we're going to focus on, we're going to know that information so we can keep them safe. But my focus is understanding if they know the root cause of like 70% of disease is going back to insulin resistance, then we can have a path. So what I do with my community of color, I and the reason why I have an acronym like NESS is because it helps me to say something that they'll remember. And so that, so that, so I, so when I talk to them, so what are the other barriers that you, because that's the question. So if you look at the E of the nest, it's exercise. So so why is it that people of color, I live in a nice suburb, right? I didn't grow up in a suburb on that, you know, I live in a different neighborhood that I grew up in. So if I see people jogging, that's normal. But do you really expect an African-American who doesn't live in this kind of neighborhood to jog in a neighborhood where it's unsafe? I mean, would you really expect them to do that? Would you do that? I would ask. So the next thing is, what about, uh, the school programs, uh, what are they going to cut first? They're going to they're going to cut the uh, physical education teachers. They're going to cut the, uh, you know, in the communities of color. So what happens is now the kids are not exercising. And so so I so and then I go if you go to the stress piece, we without even putting a putting a statistic in your face like you just did. It's obvious that communities of color are going to have more stress. I mean, I've I've been at people's homes in the evening and hear gunshots going off. I'm thinking they're firecracks, and they, you know, oh, those are gunshots, and they're just casually saying that. Uh, the the sleep issue, uh, people of color in general, when you look at studies, they don't get as much sleep. They have more sleep apnea. Uh, they have that they work on a night shift. They have night shift working, so they have this dysfunction. And then when you think about that T in the nest, how we think and and the trauma part. If you think about it, my kids have been gifted with a dad who can encourage them to think a certain way. And when they're challenged, so, but the kids in the communities of color, a lot of times they, they don't even have a dad at home. Uh, then the other piece is this ideal of, um, you know, just being able to, just the trauma. Like I, I just had a uh, Facebook Live with my organization. Uh, when we we're talking about our safe care promise, and how we're going to make sure people can come back to the clinic and we can reactivate the clinic and make sure they're wearing masks, temperatures checked, et cetera. But they asked a question about social uh, inequities. And I, and I told the story about, just imagine this, Dr. Brett, imagine going into your hospital for the first time, you're a new resident, you're nervous, you're excited, and you walk into the doctor's interest, right? And when you walk into the doctor's interest, somebody grabs you by the jacket. I had on a big, you know, husky coat, and says, where are you going? And I said, I'm one of the new doctors. And they said, oh, I'm sorry. Now, the question is, would they have grabbed other people that didn't have my demographics? And the answer is, well, I asked my, I asked my resident colleagues, most of, all of which were not African-American. They all said they hadn't had that experience. The other thing that happened was that I was driving to the, uh, to the hospital, and the first week, um, I literally got pulled over three or four times. Uh, and, and I asked my colleagues, did they get pulled over? And they said, no. So what I'm saying is that's a trauma. And even as mm-hmm. I tell you the story now, it's just, you just hate thinking about it because, so those are traumas. So we, this is the nest. And, and so when I see my patients and I think about the nest 
and the rope is the other part I haven't talked about yet. I think about the fact that they're disproportionately impacted and all of these things, all of these traumas, all of this lack of sleep and stress will then lead to inflammation in your body and insulin resistance. And so my job as a physician is to not ignore that. And for any clinician who hears this, uh, make sure you're thinking beyond just low carb, high fat. You're thinking beyond intermittent fasting. You're thinking what else is going on in these patients' lives? And if you're dealing with communities of color, it's going to be a little bit there's going to be some more issues that they're dealing with. And those are the types of things that you want to be. And like I said, we'll, I'll touch on the rope part of the uh, nest and rope concept because it's really those other factors as well. Right. So it goes so much beyond just nutrition. And actually, it sounds like some of those things may be even more important than nutrition. I, I'd imagine it's hard to prioritize. Uh, yes, yes, they are. They are. Yeah. So the first time <laughs> you meet somebody as a patient, it's got to be so hard to prioritize because you, you can't just say, okay, fix your diet you know, fix your stress, sleep better, get physical activity. They're going to say like, all right, forget it. This is, you're overwhelming me. So you really have to prioritize. And, and if, if they're worried about, you know, perfect example of George Floyd and black lives matter, if that's what they're worried about on a day-to-day basis, then nutrition is not front and center on their mind. So, um, in, in cases like that, I mean, do you really just have to sort of piecemeal it together and make trying small incremental changes? You can, you can do it. Yeah. yeah, it's always small incremental changes, but this is the key. So motivational interviewing, right? You're saying to them, so on a scale of one to 10, what's the chances you're going to do it? They say five. And you say, well, how do I get it to a seven? Now, when I ask that question, how do I get it to a seven? That's when they may bring up something. Well, my wife, you know, she's, uh, she's not going to be engaged. And then I'll say, well, how's the marriage? You know, because this is a very important issue for you. I need you to say to her, this is so important to me. There's never been anything more important. I need you to be engaged and work with me. Now, if she says, I'm not interested, now we need to talk to the therapist. Because how could she not be interested in trying to help her husband or vice versa to be healthy? So so this idea of, and that's going to the rope, this relationship, that's the R. If the relationship is dysfunctional, you have a problem. The problem with African-American communities is that 75% of those folk in the community are in a single family home. And in the Caucasian community, it's more in the 30% range. So now you have twice as many people in, a, in an environment which is not ideal. So, so my job is to hear what their barriers are. And then, and once I hear it, like if I'm, if I'm thinking about the P of the rope is pollution. So if I have an asthmatic and they're struggling, but I know they live on the south side of Chicago where there's a lot of factories, I may not be able to change that, but I think there needs to be an awareness of that. So maybe I'm going to treat them a little bit differently. Maybe I'll have them on a longer, like a anti-inflammatory inhaler, uh, longer, you know, maybe, you know, I have to think about what other, why are they not being successful? They're not lazy. They don't care. It's not those things. It's because they have other things. And that's why I like video visits, because sometimes I can see the environment. And when I see uh. the environment, I can say, huh, that's not the best environment and then you can kind of work your way uh, through that. So it's a lot of things to think about. But it's, but I think that if you're from the community, you can kind of know a little bit in advance. The good news, Doc, is that they you can be a Dr. Brett Sure and be the most popular doctor in the building. Because when I was working over at um, in the underserved clinic before I started working for uh, Advocate Aurora. Uh, which has a little bit of a more of a mix. 
what I actually, some of the most popular doctors were the doctors who weren't uh, people of color, but they cared. People know when you care about them, they can, they can yeah. feel it in their bones. So when That's they know you point. care, they don't, they can get past all of this stuff and they can over time as you build rapport and, and develop those relationships over time, they will then learn to trust you. Yeah, that's a great point. I really like uh, that. It's very powerful right there. Uh, so in, in this discussion so far, we've already come up with a few reasons why African-Americans may be disproportionately affected um, for hyperinsulinemia and resulting medical chronic medical conditions. So that brings up what are some of the interventions that can help? So do you have, you know, in that um, single parent family who's you know, working till seven o'clock and doesn't have time to cook dinner, but has, you know, three kids to feed plus herself. Um, you know, what kind of advice can you give someone to improve their nutrition? Um, and someone who can't afford, like you said, the grass-fed, um, the grass-fed steak and the pasture-raised eggs. And what kind of advice can you give them on how to eat better with no time and low budget? Right. So. Um, let me tell you what we're doing in our health system. I've been, you know, I was the medical director for something we call the Advocate Operating System, and I was very lucky. Uh, my vice president, his name was Alex Andrade. Now, he's not with our system now, but what he did was he said, Doc, what do you think is the solution, right? He just asked a question. And in most health systems, you have a paradigm where they, they, you know, every time you try to present an idea, there's a lot of barriers, right? Well, he, what he would do is say, well, let's just try it. So I would say, I think people need to learn nutrition. So we started a healthy living class. So I, me and my colleague, I have another doctor I work with, Dr. Katina Hope, and we would get in front of 200 people or so and talk about nutrition. So, so part of what you do is you have to have a mechanism by which to educate. Now, the good news is, the good thing about COVID is it forced us to go virtual we'll reach more people if we go virtual anyway. So we're going to try to take that model and go virtual. But we also had diabetes prevention programs, and I'm sure you're familiar with that. We have a, a great community leader, Jackie Rouse. We have the, and we took the same model of the diabetes prevention program for those borderline diabetics, and we created a COPD class. And a lot of people listening wouldn't realize that a COPD, a lung disease, bronchitis, emphysema, it's all inflammation too. So we have a, a great population health leader, Dr. Rick Bone, my, uh, another young lady, uh, Dixie Jarek, who helped to put programs together. And I kind of create the nutrition piece. They do the operations piece. And so what we're doing is creating a mechanism to educate people. So I think the first thing is to do that. And we're also trying to create, so we're working on, we merge with Aurora, which is in Wisconsin, and we're in Illinois. With that merger, we're taking some of the stuff they've been doing. We're taking some of the stuff that we've been doing on the Illinois side, and we're trying to come up with some, some tools that we can use to help educate our patients. And we're going to do it through our EPIC medical record we're gonna, so we can identify people. We can identify their BMI, and we can just you know target those people. We need to do clinician education. And I know Doc Diet Doctor has a free CME for docs. I think that the, it's kind of like all hands on deck. And if we get the clinicians educated and we get the patients educated and we learn from other health systems like Geisinger and Mayo Clinic that may be doing some of this stuff already, and I'm board certified in obesity medicine, we need more docs who are board certified in obesity medicine. The good news is that this weight management 
program that we have has about four or five board certified obesity medicine docs. And truth be told, when I wrote my book, I did not think that there were other people out there who thought the way I did. And I was very concerned about saying reverse diabetes on my book, but I just had to have the courage to do it. Then I learned that there were other people with the obesity boards that believed in low carb. And then I found people like yourself, Dr. Brett, who also, so I actually felt like it was a homecoming to find uh, some common ground while also respecting people who do it the other way. Like I, I was a vegetarian for eight years, so I would never demonize or minimize that way of thinking. I, but trying to move the needle in an African-American community with vegetarianism and veganism is like pulling teeth. So, But when I went to low carb and I said, hey, you can still eat the ribs. We're just going to remove the barbecue sauce. They pushed back just a little, but they didn't push back so hard that we couldn't get the. And I have like, I, I would easily argue that 40% of my patients and maybe 50% are actually engaged in what I'm doing. Only and the ones that are not is because of all these other things I've mentioned with that nest and rope. It's those right. factors that are those are the barriers. It's, it's rarely because of who they are. It's the other things. And so so you so what I'm saying, Brett, Dr. Brett, is is it's hard, but it's easy. It, when you shift your practice towards wellness and you're always thinking about these things, you're you're gonna identify them because when people struggle, you're going to say so. And you're thinking about that, the, that mnemonic, right? You're like, well, what, what could be going on here? Are you depressed? The E in the rope is for emotion, right? Life experience. So are they depressed? Are they anxious? Why are they anxious? Let's address that. I just had a patient today who was postpartum depressed. I don't deliver babies, but I see the patients. And I said, well, if we don't take care of this postpartum depression, it's going to be hard to take care of the baby. It's going to be hard to get back right. to work. So we have to address that. We can't just put a Band-Aid on it. Yeah, so again, another great example on how it really is the, the whole life experience and so much more than just nutrition. But you brought up a great example there about trying to get people in your community to go vegetarian or vegan is going to be a much harder sell than trying to get them to go keto or low carb. And, and that goes against sort of the, the vegan movement or the Eat Lancet report or these, yeah. these attempts to provide one, you know, global diet or one national diet even, which just doesn't work. And that's the perfect example for yeah. it. Um, and so I think that's, that's a, a, something that more people need to hear that the, the saying that we need to reach people, patients where they are and find that's the right. healthiest diet for them. Um, so you mentioned, um, the barbecue sauce, right? Like I'm sure that's a big pushback or, oh, yeah. you know, the classic um, Southern grits, right? I'm it's, sure that's yeah, a it's, big it's, pushback. And the, and the cornbread is the biggest pushback. Yeah. I mean, so do you recommend like cornbread substitutes, low carb sus substitutes, um, or do you just say it cut it out? It, I, I just, we just get rid of it. I, you yeah. know, I've seen some, I've, I, I'll be honest, I'm still learning. So I've, but so we've played with some low carb, uh, but cornbread, that, it's hard to duplicate that texture. So, so I haven't been able to come up with a really good one yet, but it is, but though, but that is exactly what I do. I actually say to them, everything that you like has a low carb version. So we have to, this is an experiment and all you really need, like I do the low carb, I do the diet, Dr. Low Carb chocolate cake literally every month, like every <laughs> month I make cupcakes. So thanks to you guys, I do that every month. And so for me, I can take that and turn that into like a seven to 10 carb snack. I, I barely eat 20 carbs prior to that. 
So who cares? I'm already at the ideal weight. So 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 what I tell people is I, I'm about simplicity and I can express that as we, you know, kind of get started, but it's it's simplicity and 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 making bite-sized choices. Most people, I had a patient today who did not know that barbecue sauce was an issue. And he said mm-hmm. he puts barbecue sauce on everything. Since you know, and he just did, he was like, What's wrong with barbecue sauce? You know, it's tomatoes, right? I say, no, it's fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that people just have to be educated. And once they're educated, you will be surprised that they'll do it. People, that's a form of racism. I should mention, I mean, the bias that people have towards other cultures saying they're not going to do it. That's Mm -hmm. racism. It's very subtle. It's bias at the minimum. Right, automatically discounting somebody because of either their socioeconomic status or because of their cultural status or because of the color of their skin, saying, in my experience, they're less likely to follow, so why bother? I'm sure that is rampant among medicine. Yeah. It's rampant, and it's uh, unfortunate. Yeah. Right, right. Which brings us back to you. I mean, you're not just an African-American doctor. You're a doctor. You're you're taking care of all patients of all walks of life um, with all sorts of medical conditions. And so how has um, low-carb sort of v- revitalized your practice or rejuvenated your practice or changed your practice in any way? Um, what have you noticed with, with well, how you I appreciate being a doctor? That's a great question because it is I'm, – I'm going to talk to my doctors with this one, right? So – and I know that change is hard. Now, it wasn't hard for me because I had a family member, I had my own personal stuff. And people say, why are you so, why are you so like, it's so easy for you to do these things, right? And I say, well, it's easy because I, if I don't do it, I'm going to have an irritable stomach. And if I don't do it, I'm going to have problems knocking on the door. If I don't do it, my family members are going to be back on medicine. So I think what you do is you, have a you know a reason, but anyway, so change is hard, and 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 our and we're kind of designed to be the same, homeostatic, right? And I'm in I'm in school right now to uh, get a master's in nutrition, and and so we talk a lot about these homeostatic things that have to happen to keep our body stable. So anyway, so what I so so I I asked my I asked myself, what's my why? You know, one of my whys, believe it or not, Doctor Brett, is to be able to be healthy enough to do a podcast at the end of the day and not be tired, right? That's 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 a why. Mm-hmm. I want to feel good. And and I and I I just I realized that the things that I do impact the patient more than maybe the average. Every time you look at studies, they say what the doctor says the patient will do, right? So once I understood that, I and then I started to I started looking at life differently. I said, well why did I become a doctor in the first place? And in the and most of us we wanted to do it because we wanted to be healers. So this is what happened. I changed my approach to this idea where we do nutrition and fasting and, and exercise and all those things. And then all of a sudden, I would come to clinic and I would have a testimonial literally every day. You changed my life. And I would always say to patients, I just gave you information and you just acted on it. Doc, you don't understand. I mean, people crying in the office and all they needed was a little coaching and guidance. So just imagine if you're a clinician, instead of going to work every day, 
unfortunately having to increase the dose of a medicine, unfortunately saying, sir, your kidneys are starting to fail, unfortunately saying, I'm sorry, ma'am, but we may have to amputate your foot. Instead, you're like literally being held as a hero and you're celebrating the successes of your patient. Oh my God, look at your A1C. It went down. In fact, in, in an article that I just wrote that's going to get published in the Chicago Tribune, I celebrated a patient whose A1C was 11 and it got down to four. The same patient was also able to uh, lose 100 pounds. The same patient was able to come into the clinic initially with a walker, and then now she's walking barely, barely need a cane. So, so imagine what that would feel like. This is why we became clinicians. And I just didn't know that what I was doing prior to this discovery would not lead to healing. It would lead to disease management. But if you do the lifestyle, you do the, the, the nutrition, the exercise, the stress reduction, the sleep, and, and then you have the, see, you, this testimony is important because a lot of people say, I don't have time for that. You, you have to have time for it because if you're going to get return on investment, you will not get return on investment doing the same old, same old that's not working. So why not try something different? And you have testimonies out there that are saying this stuff. Your patients are saying it works if they're doing it. The docs down the street are saying it works. So at the minimum, it's worth just giving it a shot. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the thing that you thought your career would look like uh, becomes reality. One more thing that's unrelated, I have to say this because this is important. I do have a virtual note-taking service. It's, it's called Scribble, I, and they're from this company called IKS. And I just walk in a room, I talk, even as I did video visits today at home, all I did is talk and they write the notes for me. So now I have work-life balance. I have even more time to teach. So, so if those types of opportunities are available at your uh, health system, if you're a clinician, please take advantage of it because when you get your life back, you'll then have the energy to do all of this education that I've been doing in my practice. That, that's a great point right there because I think one of the biggest pushbacks I hear from physicians all the time is I don't have the time to talk to patients about this. I can't spend 20 minutes of my my entire 20 minute visit talking to the patient because then I have notes to write that's and that right. takes, you know, and I got to check the boxes and, but to, so to have that part taken care of can free you up. Now, I, I think that should be mandatory for any major medical group that cares about prevention, that cares about doctor patient relationship, because it just gives you more time and that's what we need. And unless we had, you know, hordes of ancillary staff that could do this for us. But like you said, it's even more powerful when it's coming from the physician. So yeah, that that's pretty. Yeah, it's a game that, changer. A, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I like to hear that. I like to hear that for sure. So, what do you think we need to do, and we sort of as the medical community, um, or even we as the low carb community, to reach more underserved populations, whether it's African Americans or whether it's just low socioeconomic class, whether it's just people in areas of of food desert? Is there something that you think we can do today, tomorrow? next yeah. week to say, look, we need to address this now. Um, here's what we can do. Yeah. Well, everything we said, let's say that first. So we're, you know, by educating our clinicians about the fact that they need to talk about it, that's the first thing you need to do. So once they start to hear lifestyle, 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 like our, our model for Advocate Aurora, it says we help people live well. That happened with the merger about a year ago. And when I saw that, I said, I got them now. Because in order to, <laughs> if that's true, <laughs> what? how do we define living well? It, it, does living well mean, we're one, 
if you look at the rankings for top quality of care health systems, we're always in the top five. So we're doing a great job for quality of care. I think, I think like, you know, I can't remember who's in, it was either Cleveland Clinic or Mail. Mail it probably was Mail. But the point is this, if that's, if we're doing a great job there, is that really living well? And I would argue not at all. That's not how you optimize person's health. I mean, the World Health Organization, how they define health, right? They didn't say health was, you know, making sure they're managed well. They basically said you are helping people to maximize their health. They, everybody should look that up. Look up the World Health Organization's definition of health. It just makes it very clear. So, so I think it's important that we, we, we say to patients, we're going to do that. But the other thing we need to do is say, go where they are. You mentioned that earlier, right? So if you're in a community of color, it's important to collaborate with the folk in the community. I need to hang out. And when we did our Healthy Living event, one of the churches that we do it at is called Compassion Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago. Now, they, I, when I go to this meeting, it's like three, 400 people, right? And if pastors say show up at the meeting, they're going to show up at the meeting. <laughs> so what happens is you have an engaged audience. The pastor is engaged. And I don't have to go out and recruit anybody. You just convince the leadership that this is a something that may help the congregation and you make that connection. So rather it's the church, the YMCA, you collaborate. When we do our healthy living event, we do it with the Chicago Food Depository. So I don't need to know how to do Chicago Food Depository work. I just need to know how to have a conversation <laughs> about how can we work together so that you can get your work done. The only thing I say to Chicago Food Depository is what is on the menu, right? So we had to change so we, I need some cauliflower. Do you guys have, I need some kale. I need some. So what they did is they they were able to tweak the, and then we would sit down with the patients when they come get the, in order to get the food at the food pharmacy where we do this at Trinity Hospital in Chicago on the South Side, well, we, they have to hear us, our spiel about, you know, how do I turn that cauliflower into mac and cheese? How, you know, how do I do that? How do I, how do I cook it differently? And so they have to get information. They have to, and that's how we, that's how we kind of get some buy-in. So it's a, it's a multifactorial thing. You have to engage. You can't have the nutrition person saying low fat and the pharmacist saying low fat if you're saying high fat. So we have okay. to we have to have a, a compromise. And, and we're still working on that as we develop our weight management program. We're going to come up with a compromise. Yeah, I'm hoping it's a low-carb Mediterranean, a low-carb vegetarian. That'll be a better mm-hmm. model. And, and then for those who are not insulin-resistant, then maybe we can allow them to do their thing. But the results are what we're going to focus on. If they're not getting results, we may then push them in a different direction. Yeah, I like what you were saying about getting out into the community, though. And that's such an important message that the that healthcare doesn't end within the little exam room, right? The healthcare isn't doesn't end within the office building. It extends into the community, and that's where people are probably going to learn the most. And, and so I think for people listening, a takeaway that they should have is that they can have a doctor like you. They can have a doctor who is going to spend the time with them, who's going to be part of their community, who's going to understand their culture and where they're coming from and and wants to understand their life rather than just giving them a prescription. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most powerful take-homes. Now, not everybody can work with you. You're one right. person, right? But everybody should be able to work with somebody like you. And, and that's, right. I, I, that's what's the, the main sort of 
um, just hopeful message that I get from talking to you, that there are doctors who think like this and that you are doing something about it, both from an individual perspective and an organizational perspective to try and educate others. Um, and I assume that's probably a lot about what your, your podcast is about as well. Tell yeah, us about well, that now. It's, well, I think that, again, I, I just want people to be empowered. So I don't want to put my life in anybody's hands. So if you were my cardiologist, I would want to hear your expertise as a cardiologist. But then I would say, well, what can I do to help myself? So my podcast is about empowering people with the information and the tools. And, and maybe they never thought about the fact that, you know, I am in a toxic relationship and I haven't addressed it yet. And my blood sugars are running high and my pressure's high. And so the doctor said, I need to address that. So, and he gave me some tools. He told me to listen to inspirational people every day. I, he told me to read the five love languages. He told me to read the uh, Principles of Marriage by Gottman, which is a great book. And so, and I know this stuff because I'm trying to have tools. And I, I have a dot phrase and or a button on my, it says marriage, bam, I just click it. And all the books I need to read pops up. So you have to, so I can't sit there and read the book to them. I can't, but I can give them tools and I can say, I know you're not going to read a good audio book. You're going to, it's going to take you 20 minutes to get home. Download that book before you leave here <laughs> and listen to it. on the. Way. I literally do stuff like that just to ensure that they're going to do it. So, so really it's, I think that for everybody listening, the podcast, the YouTube videos. And one thing I did, I'm going to do, Brett, is I'm going to, for those who are guests who can do it, I'll probably do a Facebook Live, kind of a post-game show kind of thing, and then and then introduce the, the Facebook and the YouTube audience to these folk who may not ever see the podcast. But the goal is to reach right. more people. And then my partner, I have Dr. Katina Hope, who's a family doctor who's engaged get her involved and, and get, we need more like uh, soldiers out here spreading the gospel, if you want to say it that way. And then as, and then again, we're going to always respect other methodologies because we don't know, like I've heard you say it with interviews, we don't have a, a 50 year study saying, you know, that this is going to be the answer. All we know is that in the moment it works really well. And I just know that my patients are getting off medicine. My patients, their, their met, metabolic metrics are stabilizing. And, and that's all I can go with right now. And I've never had this type of practice before. So it's been exciting. Yeah. I think I've heard a lot of doctors say that I've never had this type of practice before. And it's that's been right. reinvigorating for so many doctors. And it's because we're helping so many more patients. So it's, a, right. it's a powerful message. And I think you're, you're leading by example, which is such an important thing to do. Yeah. So where can people go to, to hear more about you and find more about you with all the amazing things you're working Absolutely. on? Absolutely. Right Actually, I'd say... Um, by mid to third week of July, my new website, which is being designed, will be up. And it's just drtonyhampton.com. Just spell out the doctor uh, completely. And uh, and that'll be up uh, like the second or third week of July. With that, you'll be able to see the podcast and the videos. And I did make a couple of videos that people have to see. Why do low carb? How to do low carb. And if you just Google Dr. Tony Hampton on YouTube, you can watch that just as a, and I did that because it's a workaround. I don't have the time. So I always tell my patients, you have to watch these two videos so that you'll then have the way of thinking and then we can kind of grow from there. So that's, those are the locations I would go to. Great. And then of course on Twitter, you're very oh my active God. on Twitter yeah, If you want to well, hear so. some interesting discussions, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, well, thank you for all the work you're doing and thank you for taking the time to be a guest on the Diet Doctor podcast today. Absolutely. Keep doing the great work you're doing too also. Thank you.